Hey, thanks for listening. I'm Allie, and I'm excited to chat with you about my behavioral and mental health hybrid life and career where science drives and wellness steers. I admit I'm a hippie at heart, and I am totally on this wellness vibe, all the while I'm a radical behaviorist trying to find the meeting point of wellness and behavior science. I think a lot about parenting-spirited babes, mental health, child development, and the hilarious things that no one ever prepared me for in parenting. I've worked with a lot of families, but I've probably never worked with yours, so my judgment should never be mistaken for anything more than general statements about the nature of things. But you knew that already. So with that out of the way, let's get to it. Grab a coffee or a cocktail, maybe a pen. Here we go. Hey guys, it's episode six of the podcast, and I asked you guys on Instagram, um, if you're not following me, you can follow me at magminds, at M-A-G-M-I-N-D-S, to never miss an update. Um, So I asked you guys on Instagram what you wanted to see in the next podcast, and there was an overwhelming um, response from all of you, and you wanted to hear about mealtimes and picky eaters and how to navigate those sticky situations with your toddlers or preschoolers or school-age kiddos that have particular eating habits that drive you a little bit bananas. So mealtimes, how much do they stress you out? On a scale from one to 10, what's your stress level? For me, I would say probably somewhere between a six to an eight, depending on the day. I think it all started when I had my daughter, my firstborn. When she was born, literally the moment she came out, she insisted that the perfect time to nurse was always the second I tried to put a bite of food in my own mouth. Admittedly, when I was a newly nursing mom, I was eating a lot, like literally around the clock, so I didn't give her much of a chance not to overlap with my eating. But still, no one ever told me that I'd have to find creative ways to avoid getting chip crumbs or cookie crumbs or toast crumbs on my newborn's head. So she and I both ate, usually at the same time. Calories in, calories out. In a misguided attempt to ease my frazzled mom newbornness, I told myself this whole nursing thing will end soon enough and then I'll be eating in peace. What a riot. Eating in peace is not something I even remember anymore. My daughter nursed until she was 20 months. By then I was nearly eight months pregnant with number two, who by then decided that at any time I ate, he would give me intense heartburn. One month later, we're back in that newborn feeding on demand phase with no relief in sight. He still nurses at 20 months, but by now I've put some boundaries into the mix. For example, you eat real food now, so back off my tatas at least while I'm eating. Even with that rule, I sometimes cave because sometimes mama needs some freaking quiet while she eats. He mostly nurses at night, but if you think that means I can eat in peace like ever, that would be a massive stretch. So now I have a picky four-year-old and uh, following in his picky sister's footsteps, 20-month-old, and they make dinner, how to say it nicely, a total fucking shit show. My kids were both exposed to things that I would have thought were weird as a kid and frankly think are weird as an adult, but I eat them because, you know, health. My picky toddler and preschooler will basically gobble up hummus, edamame, cucumber, peas, all of that healthy stuff by the boatload. But I kid you not, it took some serious convincing to get my daughter to eat pizza and macaroni and cheese. Honestly, it took some serious convincing to get her to eat any noodles. From a nutrition standpoint, I don't really care that much if she refused cheese and noodles or any combination thereof. But from a sanity standpoint, these kids could not find a single thing to eat on a kid's menu. And we ended up packing our lunches and our dinners from home wherever we went. Like 
literally wherever we went. Family's house, packed a lunch. Restaurant, packed a lunch. McDonald's, packed a lunch. Like what world were we living in where our kids could not eat anything that was like quote unquote normal kid food? Again, not ideal. So even though I thought I had done everything right by exposing my kids to these healthy things that as a kid who grew up for you know, somewhere between the 80s and the 90s, these things weren't on my dinner table. I didn't know what hummus was, and I definitely didn't know what edamame was, nor would I have eaten it if I did. I thought I did everything right. I exposed them to kale. I exposed them to soy milk, all things that we'll kind of look at sometimes. And here I am still in the situation where I'm constantly battling a picky eater. What gives, right? So I decided to take my power back. At least that's what I told myself, to pump myself up before the big fight. I mean, before the mealtimes. I started with what I like to call a gateway cheese. Cheese string. After enough song and dance, come on, they come with characters on them. Have at least one bite. They kind of have some cheese-like taste. Sure enough, mommy, I love cheese string. After a few weeks, I tried to to move on to a more grown-up cheese, or at least just like a real food version, as opposed to that cheese string, which is like cheese-like version. Mommy, I don't like this. You can have it. Figures. So back to cheese string we go, but I wasn't deterred. I figured if I can get you to like cheese string, and you said you didn't like cheese, and you didn't want this, and you didn't want that, and you didn't want macaroni, and you didn't want pizza because cheese is yucky, here we are now. You're gobbling up cheese string. I was empowered. I knew I could do this. So I pivoted a little. I started melting, hold your gags, cheese string onto bread, and wraps. Surely, I thought, she can't say no to a grilled cheese or a quesadilla. Like, what kid doesn't want a grilled cheese? Took a lot of convincing. Like, really? You like bread? You like cheese string? This is a no-brainer. After lots of persistence and even more patience, I got her to just try it. Fight a dollar for every time that I said, just one bite to be polite. During this phase, I would literally be a millionaire. Now, I'm not opposed to stacking the deck in my favor, using reinforcement, not bribery, reinforcement, to expand her food choice, but I do tend to prefer a bit more of a systematic route where anxiety doesn't go through the roof at the very sight of a new food. I'm not the shove it down her throat kind of mom, but I'm also not the sit at the table until it's bedtime kind of mom if you don't eat it. I'm also not the let them eat whatever they want and they'll eventually figure it out kind of mom, so here I am trying to strike a balance and figure out a way to keep my kid fed, let them eat healthy things while also being able to order off a freaking kid's menu at a restaurant. So this is where I land. I am big on follow through and I am big on a systematic process just like I am with any other learning that I strive to do. Learning to like a new food is no different than learning your ABCs. You need to take baby steps, you need to have a little bit of repeated exposure to each of the different letters or each of the different food groups, and ultimately have a very precise and systematic way that you're going to expect an outcome. You're not just going to be willy-nilly about food exposure, especially if you've got a picky kid, but you probably knew that already. So I use the strategies with my kids that worked with the kids that I service at work. And vice versa. I use the strategies with my kids at work that have worked with my own kids. Cheese strings are the perfect example. I'm fairly sure if you'd asked me about two years ago if I'd ever feed my kid a cheese string, I'd have said, from my high horse. Oh, hell no. Take a peek at the ingredients and you'll see why. Not exactly nutritious. But here's the thing. 
I saw chi string as a means to an end, and I committed to seeing the process through. And that's why initially I called it a gateway cheese. I mean, I was kind of joking and also kind of not. Like, if you can eat something that you really don't want, that you're really averse to, that's kid-friendly, surely that will be a step in the right direction when it comes to eating things that are a little less kid-friendly and a lot more nutritious. So here's how it goes. The first step is I pick a food I want her to ultimately eat. And for the record, I do this with my son too, so I'll be switching back and forth between her and him when I'm talking about how I do this. Like, let's say cheese which at least she was morally opposed to. And frankly, I blame her father for that, who hates cheese, and me because I'm lactose intolerant. Two, I find a kid-friendly version, and in this case, it was something that's cheese-like at best. Three, I introduce it in a way that's fun. Look how silly this is. You can pull it, you can play with it. Wee, this is the best. I let her hang out with it, and I never even ask her to take a bite. While she's hanging out with the new food, I allow her to access something else she really loves. Maybe it's a favorite toy, a show, or just another favorite food. Presenting a new and potentially offensive food with something she actually really likes uses a behavioral process called stimulus-stimulus pairing. It basically means when one good thing is presented alongside a less good thing, the less good thing takes on some of the goodness of the good thing. So if I watch my favorite show while I'm exposed to a new and non-preferred food, like let's say Brussels sprouts, my love for the show actually overtakes my lack of interest in the new food and makes the food at the next presentation remind me of something I like, like my favorite food or my favorite show or whatever it is that you're pairing it with. This process makes me more likely to actually pick up and at least interact with the new and non-preferred food. But this process alone isn't enough. It's just one important step. The fourth step, when she's no longer offended by the presence of the new food, because, you know, stimulus, stimulus pairing, I've paired it with something she likes. It's no longer something that she, you know, throws at me. I start presenting it at dinner, usually on her plate. She recoils. I say, you don't have to eat it but you have to keep it on your plate. Sometimes I negotiate and I'll let her put it on her napkin. Usually this is offensive to her as well, but it's all a process. Eventually she accepts it on her napkin and then she accepts it on her plate. The more opportunities that I give her to accept it on her napkin and then ultimately on her plate, the better off she is. Now the one important thing to remember is that yes, you can negotiate initially, but you never wanna go backwards. So. The first time that your kiddo accepts that food on their plate without being a total shit show, that's, that's your time. You don't go back from there. And then next time, it always has to be on their plate. You never want to let them get used to it being on the napkin, get used to it being on the plate, and then go back to the napkin. That's kind of like backwards progress. If we're using the napkin as step one to getting it on your plate and getting it on your plate as step two, it just doesn't make sense to backslide. So step five, once it's less offensive, and she can keep it on her plate, I ask her to take a whiff. Seriously, just smell it. When she does that, and she doesn't barf, or worse, I say, okay, now lick it really, really quick, but don't take a bite. She usually does. She usually recoils. One, more, one more time, I say. It's a game now. She does it, and then I'll usually lick something on my plate, and we'll go back and forth, and we'll do this turn-taking thing where we each lick things, and she thinks it's hilarious. And when she's playing my game, I up the ante. I say something like, do you want me to take the cheese string away and give you some more 
whatever it is your favorite food. So like, do you want me to take away the G-string or the Brussels sprouts or the thing you don't like and give you some Cheerios? Yes, she exclaims. So I say, oh, okay, well, no problem. Just take one bite to be polite. It can be big, can be small, totally your choice. And guess what? She usually does. And I honor the promise and I take it away, unless she wants to keep it. And that has happened more often than not. The next time we do the same song and dance, but this time I say, this time take two bites to be polite. And if I need to, I go back to the smell, lick, then bite routine. And then comes step five. Now, depending on the food, I've had times where I've gone through all of these steps in just one meal. And other times, it takes more time. And I find that the more your kid is willing to try a new food and realize that they actually like it, or at the very least, that they don't immediately vomit, you're establishing momentum and it makes the next food item, which may be a totally different food item, go down much easier. So then comes step five, and that's when you start expanding. You start going to different food items and you start trying to use the momentum that you've established in the other steps to get you to where you need to go with other food items. And the reality about kids who are picky and about kids who reject new foods is that usually there's a big piece of fear involved. They're afraid that they're not going to like it. They're afraid that if they don't like it, you're going to make them eat it anyway. And ultimately, it's just fear of the unknown. So the more times you practice actually eating, licking, smelling, and just engaging with foods that are not ultimately that gross the better off you are at the end. So my word of caution when you're going through all of these steps of, of sort of food exposure is that you want to pick things that are objectively not disgusting. So I would never try to put Brussels sprouts on my kid's plate if they were a picky eater. And some people love Brussels sprouts. My husband is one of them. I personally think they're really offensive. And I think if the food item that you're trying to get your kid to eat is like objectively gross, even if you like it, don't start there. Don't even don't even go there after like the first five or six successful attempts. Really just wait and just go for the things that are going to be common, that are going to be on, you know, that are going to provide you with sanity. The things that are going to allow your kid to participate in birthday parties. If they don't eat carrots, that's a good one. If they don't eat celery, that's a good one. Those are inoffensive. If they don't eat pasta, they don't eat pizza, they don't eat chicken, they don't eat dips like hummus or ranch or anything that you think is going to just allow them to just participate in like a regular social engagement. Those are a good place to start. And of course, you want to focus on things that have a big bang for their buck nutritionally. But you also want to remember that kids aren't rejecting the food that you're giving them because it's healthy. They don't really have that barometer that tells them healthy versus not healthy. They just have a barometer that says yummy versus yucky. And at the end of the day, they're going to go towards things that they think are yummy. And if you can show them that things that are healthy are actually yummy, then all the better. But most of the time when I'm working with parents to help their kids establish broader eating habits, it's not actually about healthy versus unhealthy. Most of our kids will eat some things that are healthy and some things that are unhealthy. But if we have kids that are picky, they're pretty equitable in what they refuse. They refuse healthy, they refuse unhealthy. Some kids that I work with are brand specific. They only want to eat a particular brand of cookie. They only want to eat a particular brand of pasta or pizza or whatever it is. And Though that may not seem like a big deal, it's a real barrier when it comes to integration into like social functions, birthday parties, you know, travel, all these things that really impact sort of that day-to-day and those special moments that you have with your family. So that is what you need to remember when it comes to exposure and those are my steps. So let's sum it all up. My new food adventure in a nutshell 
has been summarized. But if you're like me, eating new foods is really only half the battle at dinner time. Eating new foods is wonderful and exposing our kids to things that are healthy and nutritious or, you know, come in and make our lives easier at a restaurant is really important. But that's half the picture when it comes to easing your, you know, mental wellness and your, you know, general stress levels when it comes to mealtime. So the other half that I need to focus on with my own kids and that I bet you need to focus on with your kids is the following. One, eat what I made and don't whine for something else. Two, eat what I made and don't throw it at me. Three, eat what I made for dinner in less than 3.5 hours. And four, eat what I made without needing to be reminded to take every single bite. So if that resonates with you, then keep on listening because we are going a direction that is going to be super helpful for you. So here are some points and some things that have worked for me to target these fun and ever-adapting mealtime challenges. The first challenge, eat what I made and don't whine for something else. This was easy and also very hard to to overcome. First, you have to draw a hard line about what your protocol is at dinner time. Mine is, this is what's for dinner. I make at least a few things I know you like. It won't always be your favorite but I am not filling your plate with new and unfamiliar foods and expecting you to eat the whole thing. You can eat it, you can sit at the table until we're done, and then you can clear your plate. Those are the options. There are no other options. If you're hungry before bed, you can always have sliced veggies. So, though I can't stop my kids from whining about wanting other food, which they do a lot, here is what I can do. The first is simple. I don't let them get anything else. Unless they're sick, then of course we negotiate. Two, I don't let whining work. Like, it never works. You cannot let whining work. And when it comes to mealtimes, that means that I don't even respond to whining. Whining will never get them access to something that isn't already on the table. The first thing is, I don't even respond to it. They get a warning. You can use a nice voice to tell me what you want. And on the other attempts that they use, which, trust me, they do, I just ignore. Respond the first time ignore the next time. That encourages them to use an appropriate voice. And the second they use an appropriate voice, and like by appropriate, I mean like just a normal human talking voice, I respond. The next thing is that I do reinforce them for eating nicely. That's really important. I don't force them to eat everything on their plate, but when they eat or they take a bite, anything that they do that is, you know, what I would consider expected mealtime behavior, I reinforce. I let them know specifically that I really like how they took a bite of something that they weren't sure of, or I really like how they're eating from all the different food groups. The next thing is I do encourage them to listen to their tummies, but I also let them know that if their tummy says they're too full to finish the majority of their vegetables and their fruit, there won't be dessert. So that's an important one because I always say to my daughter, who's more vocal than my son, which is why I use her more as an example, you need to listen to your tummy. And when your tummy says you're full, then that's when you should stop eating. And she went ahead and turned that right back around on me and said, mommy, my tummy says that I'm full of dinner, but it's ready for dessert. So first of all, props for that logic but also not exactly. So I reiterated to her the importance of listening to your tummy, but also ensuring that you're eating the nutritious things that are on your plate. So no, I don't require that she clears her plate, but 
yes, if she wants dessert, which I do offer at most meals, um, she's got to at least eat the healthy things mostly. So the next thing is sort of to piggyback on what I just said, I do offer dessert almost every meal, definitely every dinner time. And it's a sometimes for lunch, but more often than not, I do offer dessert for lunch. For me, dessert is a small portion and it's subject to whatever we have on hand in the house. I keep some healthier, but dessert like things on hand so they can have their treat and I'm not worrying about high sugar levels before bed. That said, they still sometimes eat Oreos because balance, right? Other things I'll do for dessert are chocolate soy milk, milkshakes, chocolate covered fruit, or dark chocolate. For me, I think as important as it is to establish you know, healthy eating habits and an understanding of what it means to eat a balanced diet, I also think it's really important to be able to offer our kids something delicious at the end of the meal. And sometimes that's going to be something that's delicious and full of nutritional value. And sometimes that's going to be something that isn't. And if I didn't have picky eaters, I might be inclined to say, you know, forget dessert. You don't need it. You can save those treats for other times. But because I've lived through having picky eaters, I know that we often need that in our back pocket. We often need that dessert, even if it's a healthier version of a common dessert, we need that to reinforce appropriate eating behavior. And if you don't have something to reinforce that behavior that's really meaningful for your kid, it can be really hard. So I've gotten through some really tough control battles with my daughter and with my son who had just you know, decided on a whim that they didn't eat something they ate the day before or they just were going to refuse all the vegetables and fruit on their plate. Um, I've gotten through those battles by being able to say, well, listen, this is what's on the line and dessert is on the line. And lucky for me, my kids have a pretty varied palate when it comes to what they consider dessert like. So I can easily win them over with, you know, a chocolate milkshake that's full of soy milk and protein and bananas and all kinds of good stuff. Um, but I also think it's important to have the give and take where we let our kids eat the junk that um, you know, we probably, if we're honest, wish they wouldn't eat. And that's just part of balance. And as important as I think it is to teach our kids to listen to their tummies and, you know, not overeat and not binge and also not clear their plates just because that's the portion I gave you. Um, I think it's really important for them to be able to be exposed to opportunities to eat treats and practice that skill with treats as well. Um, you know, listening to your tummies, not just eating the entire bowl of ice cream because mom gave you two scoops. You know, if you're full after one scoop, then what, you know, what better time to practice listening to your tummy than when the food item is really yummy and really rewarding. I also think that when you focus on teaching your kids to listen to their tummy, um, you give them control over what they consume. And that's really important, especially for kids that have picky eating habits and that tend to get into control battles over food. Um, it's really important that when you're doing any kind of food exposure or really just basic mealtime, that you're not flexing your muscles more than you need to as a parent. My rule of thumb is I'm going to decide what goes on your plate but you're, you're going to decide how much you want to eat. And, you know, you may come to me at the end and say, I want dessert. And I may say, well, you know, you, you said your tummy's full and you really haven't eaten any of your fruits and vegetables. So it's not 
on the table right now for you, um, you know, figuratively speaking, and also literally, it's not, it's not being served because you didn't eat the really healthy stuff that's going to make you strong. Um, the other thing that I think I would feel um, like a missed opportunity if I didn't talk about was it's really important that we're teaching our kids through mealtime that we eat a variety of, you know, of foods, of food groups, not for um, not for weight management, but for optimized health. So when I talk to my daughter, I think body positivity is on my radar and only more so for my daughter because she's four now and she's at an age where, you know, she's going to start thinking about, you know, her body and, and, you know, the ways that different bodies look and shapes and sizes. And that's only going to intensify as she gets older. And I want the dialogue between her and I about food and about what we eat and how we eat to have always been from day one about wellness and about health and not about weight. Um, I don't think I've ever commented about weight but yet I have on many occasions talked to my daughter about um, why we need to eat a balanced plate and why you know I'm I always place you know a vegetable and a fruit and a carb and a protein and a dairy product on her plate um, for me it's not about saying you know this is a good way to manage your weight and it's more about saying this is the way to make sure your body grows the right way and properly and that your brain is fueled and that you have energy and that you sleep well and that you're able to do all the things you need to in a day. Um, you know, I, I sometimes say to my daughter, no, you know, you can't have a bagel and pasta for dinner because that's two carbs and that's not going to give you enough, you know, enough energy and enough fuel and you need to have vegetables and you need to have fruit and you need to have a protein and, you know, sometimes you need to have a dairy um, although we all sort of eat limited dairy, so that's sort of a, a sometimes thing in our house. Um, but that's been part of the conversation with all of us since day one. And, you know, I was very mixed about whether I used the word carbs with my four-year-old and at the time with my two-and-a-half and, and three-year-old because I didn't want the associated sort of body shaming or negativity surrounding carbs. But after a lot of thought, I realized that my values and and you know my biases are what put a negative connotation to the word carbs and you know the world I grew up in is the reason that I sort of think carbs are and you know icky and oh carbs yuck um, but I don't want my daughter to have that same association I want her to know that carbs are an important part of her diet and um, like anything balance right um, I've never been in a situation where I've had to limit my daughter's junk or my daughter's um, you know, chips or, or carrots or cucumbers or anything, because at this point she's able to tell me when her body tells her she's full. And if I fill a bowl to the top of chips, um, she'll stop when her body tells her. And if I fill a bowl to the top of cucumbers, she'll stop when her body tells her. And as far as I'm concerned, that's a step in the right direction. So of course, you know, I, I focus on food exposure and I focus on getting her to be able to order at restaurants, things that are sort of quote unquote normal for kids. Um, but I also sort of balance that with an understanding of why. And it's not just because, you know, mommy made it. So now you have to eat it. It's because these are the things that your body needs to grow. And these are the things that your brain needs to, you know, be, be quick and, and to be able to process everything you need. And I think, we need to, we need to, and we owe it to our kids to 
share with them the whys and not just the what's. So we get in the habit of saying, you know, this is what you need to eat and, you know, I made it so you need to eat it. And I think that's a control battle that we're not going to win with our kids. And I think we're, we're better off if we can use things like stimulus-stimulus pairing to take the ick factor away, to, away from new things. Um, if we can, you know, use exposure and repeated opportunities to interact with the item. And if we can use our understanding of food knowledge, um, you know, the last thing I'll say about picky eaters and about, you know, shaping good food behaviors is that we need to practice what we preach. So we need to be modeling the behavior that we want our kids to have. And that is something that extends to how and what we eat. Um, If we reach for a bag of chips for snack, but expect our kids to reach for cucumbers and celery, then we're missing the mark. Um, you know, we're far better off looking at our own eating habits and how we're facilitating or hindering their exposure to new foods and their development of, you know, healthy habits and willingness to try new foods. And uh, that's a really important starting point. Um, The only other thing I'll say is, you know, whenever I start a food exposure program, I think it's important to know that in my clinical side of sort of things and, and clinical intervention, we're always ruling out medical factors and speech or, you know, physiological factors. So there are some kids that reject particular foods because of sensory sensitivities. There are some kids that reject particular foods because of swallowing issues. And if that's the case, they need to be referred to a swallowing expert. Um, A lot of people don't know, but SLPs, speech paths, and often OTs are a really good resource for this. But the thing is, they're only the right resource if you're dealing with something that is within their scope. Just like a behavioral specialist is only the right resource if you're dealing with something that is within their scope. So assuming you've ruled out physiological concerns like a swallowing deficit or issue and assuming you've ruled out um, you know other physiological things like perhaps a big tongue that makes particular textures difficult or um, you know sensory sensitivities and you've ruled out you know medical concerns like perhaps your kid is rejecting a particular food because it gives them indigestion heartburn Um, if you've ruled all of that out and you know that you're just dealing with a behavioral picky eater like a lot of our kids are then you are now armed with a whole bunch of strategies and hopefully some knowledge and some awareness and uh, you're set to go so get on your way get to exposing get to eating get to building eaters that are willing to try new foods that are willing to expand their repertoires and that are positioned to be healthy eaters when they grow up